Welcome to a News Laundry podcast. This is News Laundry Interviews. Welcome to the News Laundry Interview. Uh, a Free Man is journalist Aman Sethi's first book published in 2011. Aman was recently the Chhattisgarh correspondent for the Hindu, still with the Hindu. Hi Aman, I'm going to just launch into this interview with a few lines from the book. You said in the book, I'm trying to write a book, but who will want to read it? I don't know. I suppose my friends and a few people who are interested in Delhi. Well, it's been a year since the book came out yeah. and um, you've had time to judge the response. Are you surprised by it? Um, am I surprised by it? Well, I guess on the one hand, I am sort of surprised by it. Uh, but on the other hand, the English reading community is quite small. Uh, so um, I guess it's, it's, it's done okay, it's done fine. Just want to hear a simple description of a free man from you before we analyze its appeal. Um, well, to put it simply, a free man is, um, I guess it's a biography of Muhammad Ashraf, a man who lives on Delhi's pavements. And I spent about five years tracking him. And so it's, it's a book about him. Uh, and in some ways, it's a, it tries to tell a larger story about urban life through, through his life. What's the appeal? I mean, what do you think is the appeal of the book? I think the appeal lies in the fact that uh, the book sort of explores a terrain which isn't really uh, explored much uh, in Indian media anymore. I think the book also explores this terrain through a trope which is not the standard journalistic format of sorrow. Um, and I think what that does is it, it allows the reader to just read about a life rather than feel like the reader is committing an act of virtue by reading about someone who comes from a different class from the reader. Bingo, because the main character, Ashraf, is a dihari uh, laborer, you know, a daily wage earner, a safedi wala. And yet when I stepped into his life through your book, it seemed familiar because uh, you're not really passing judgment and the sorrow theme is not overwhelming. Did it, it take a fair bit of effort from you to make sure that you weren't passing judgment? Well, I think the, the book sort of came out of a project, a six-month project at the CSDS Sarai, where the idea behind the project was to search for a form of writing which went beyond uh, problems and solutions and this idea of journalistic judgment. Suspension of judgment was the first sort of practice of the fellowship and the writing that came out of the fellowship. So by the time I started working on the book, I was fairly clear about the terrain that I was working on and the mode that I would use. But I, I suppose as, as young journalists, you feel like you, your work should directly result in some kind of policy in, intervention. If you can suspend your sense of importance about yourself, uh, then you realize that perhaps it's, it's best that people don't really listen to your recommendations, but just observe the material you uncover. So that's what the book really does. It's not, a, it's not something that presumes to find problems and prescribe solutions. It's a book that just hopes to understand. And it does that effectively. But you know, to write that book, you also had to gain the acceptance of Ashraf and you know, the group of people that you've described in the book. And was that a little harder than you had anticipated at the start? Because you, know, you said this, is a, this was five years of work. And uh, when one reads the book, there are, you, you're there 
maybe not every day, but almost. And um, that acceptance from them, was that tougher than you'd anticipated? No, actually, I think it was easier than I, than I thought. Um, I, I didn't really know what to expect when I went there. I was aware that there might be some resistance, but there was hardly any resistance. Everyone is always curious to know what someone is doing in a space when you clearly aren't from that space. And once you talk about your project and you talk to people about your project, then the people who want to get behind it, get behind it. And the people who don't, don't. And there was in no way this sense of thrusting a camera or microphone in anyone's face. It was a fairly participative sort of process. It wasn't really even a process. I would just show up and spend time and record. And so what, did you, did you go there every day? Did you just hang out for what, eight, ten hours a day? I, I, I couldn't get, put my finger on that. Well, for the first six months, I went there very often. I went there about twice a week. Uh, and then gradually, as uh, time went by and, you know, uh, my life took me in different directions, their lives took them in different directions, we would, I would, I'd scaled it back, but there was no real pattern of I will go there Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And over a period of time, I, I just kept recording. A lot of the stuff is done in the mornings before they went to work. And, and they were at their lucid best at that time. They were at right? their lucid best. There's a lot of stuff in the evening as well, uh, when they were winding down from work. And then in the middle, I realized that I had this whole period where I didn't really have any sense of their work. So then there was a period where I was deliberately going early and then staying and going to work sites with them just to see what it was like. You know, you're a journalist. And journalists tend to be obsessed with facts. And then you write this book, which is nonfiction. And uh, just from the uh, focus you've expressed in trying to get Ashraf's timeline, you know, his life timeline, um, it seems like it would be pretty tough to get the facts and be comfortable that you've got them all. Um, was that true? Yeah, initially there was this, this sense of an obsession with fact. And then over a period of time, I started reading on oral history. And I think oral history was an interesting uh, sort of subject to read about. It gave you an interesting trope again to imagine a, an event not as it occurs, but an event as it is perceived. Mm. And as, as we know from reporting on the field, that there is a distinction between that. True. But you also realize that people tend to live their lives based on how the events are perceived rather than the events actually occurred. And that doesn't mean that you give up the pursuit of, of actual occurrence, but the, that doesn't mean that the idea of a perception or a personal narrative uh, related to these events is, is irrelevant. So for instance, there's this interesting period where Ashraf remembers one particular day and one particular incident because he went somewhere in the morning to meet a particular character and she tells him to go home because Indra is dead. Mm. And uh, that's always interesting where suddenly, you know, somewhere in, in Bihar, this, this news event occurs. And given when Indra died, we don't know if it was actually the day that Indra died or whether it took, you know, 20 hours. Uh, I mean, obviously the, the, the state administration would have known mm. very soon. Uh, but for the news to percolate down in a time when there wasn't instant television where I actually haven't gone back and checked, but I know that once upon a time government broadcasters would allow for a certain period of time to pass before news was put out uh, so that they could contain the fallout of this kind of news. So 
I don't know. And yet you got to fix. But you, yet you got to fix. You know, because he recalls that so yeah, clearly in his yeah. book. So, I, you know, I understand oral history and, you know, mm -hmm. putting the timeline down through that. But the journalistic process versus that of being an author, are the two quite different? Or, you know, does uh, one set of skills help the other process? I mean, well, I mean, we could... Or am I trying to distinguish too much? I mean, there's no difference. No, I don't know. I mean, we could... If you want, we could. If you if you want to really talk about the the writing process itself, then of course there is a difference. Mm. Uh, and I guess one of the reasons where this comes out from is if you just look at the form, because you're as a as a newspaper or as a magazine writer, you end up uh, the scope of your imagination is is bounded by the space that you have. Right. So uh, the scope of your story is bounded by the space that you have. And with a book, it's like you know it can be as long as you want, and it can be as detailed as you want. And it's sort of hard to calibrate yourself to this much larger field. So it takes time. And uh, it's also a question of varying narrative pace, you know, because you're, you're now thinking in terms of chapters rather than, you know, just, you know, lead, nut graph, deck, conclusion. So it's, it's a different kind of thing. But it's, if you have a good editor like I was lucky to have, then it's not uh, such a, I mean, it's, it's okay. Coming back to the book, you know, we all tend to obsess about Ashraf, but there's so many other wonderful characters in the book, Lalu, Rehan. You've got, you know, Sharmaji. I was kind of fascinated mm. by Sharmaji, but then you also have Kalyani. Um, mm. And while reading A Free Man, I got d very detailed descriptions of professions. I use those words loosely. We all use those words loosely. Mm. Um, a head kasai and a safedi wala mm. and a mazdoor and a baildar, but we don't really know exactly what they do. And you've spent mm. a fair bit of time describing exactly what goes into that job. It's educative. Yeah. Was that your objective? It's, it's not educative. I think it's informative because there's no pedagogic thrust. Uh, but I think that there is a... I'm just really obsessed with how people pass their day. Like, you know, I have friends who are, who are bankers. And I say, you know, you, you wear a suit and go to work. And what do you do? You know, like... What do you minute do by already? minute, hour by hour, like what are you doing? Are you mm. primarily answering phone calls? Are you primarily looking at data streams? What are you doing, really? And there was this uh, really influential book that I read. I was really fortunate while I was doing all of this to be surrounded by this team of, you know, my sister, uh, my friends, who were, who are all sort of extremely well-read and extremely sort of bright and uh, very, you know, have really eclectic taste. So I was constantly being fed this kind of diet of absolutely fascinating stuff. So I ended up reading this, this sort of path-breaking book called Working by Studs Terkel, who also in some ways has done a lot of work on oral history, where he, it, the whole book is just a series of interviews with people asking them what they do and what they think when they do it. So, you know, waitresses, factory workers, prostitutes, the guy who polishes shoes in a hotel bathroom in America back in, you know, whenever this book was written, I think 60s, 70s, I'm not sure. So that book's influence shows up in your book. Yeah, because you realize that that, that craft is a extremely uh, personal thing. So a head Kasai's proficiency basically yeah. is measured by the fact he can make a one kilo chicken, one and a half kilo. Well, not just that, I right? mean, you know, that was a fascinating little nugget. Yeah, but you know, just this idea of, of, of how to cut of, you know, I mean, you're a guy who is, you know, not been through sort of you know, a structural or civil engineering program, and you're building houses. Now, how is that knowledge transmitted uh, from one person to another? As a journalist, we, we tend to assume that without the media, people never knew anything, and people didn't know 
there was no mode of sharing ideas outside of media which is not true hmm. and so it's really important uh, or it was very interesting for me to find out how like often i'd be like okay so you know you know x bit of trivia like how did you get to know this who told you and you realize that stuff sort of percolates you know a free man basically and i and i'm talking just for myself here it sensitized me without sermonizing and when i say sensitized i mean it in sort of the least weighty way mm. you can think of that word mm. uh, just opened up my eyes to uh, a city i've lived in the city for 20 years uh, you mm. know we all have uh, laborers in and out of our lives in our homes so don't pay much attention to them so bottom line it sensitized without sermonizing and in a sense was that what you were trying to achieve or no no, no i'm sure you have i mean you have an objective right your objective is to write this book your objective is to make this book as porous as possible your objective is to is to let the material breathe as much as possible but i i mean to to think that this book will now mean that everyone will now look at labor more sensitively i mean that's great if you want to do that mm. but i'm not that's not my interest have you heard from ashraf um well have i heard from ashraf so i have been i was in touch with ashraf for a significant period of time and uh since you ask uh, ashraf uh, died of tuberculosis recently so i was there in calcutta some time ago uh, and i met some of his last few friends and sort of went to the graveyard and yeah so he he died of multi drug resistant tuberculosis you you know the sorrow in the book is in the final destination for many of these people which is it seems to always be a hospital and tuberculosis um stares many of them in the face and you know to that extent you have dealt with uh the sorrow in their lives so um like everything else that you sort of explored and discovered while writing this book you've actually been to the hospitals in north delhi to the hospitals in calcutta and and it seems i'm not sure i can find the right word for it but do they is the system mad sort of gearing up and meeting their needs um i think that uh, i think given the given the kind of funding that that public health has in india and given the kind of priority that it has uh, i think the hospitals are doing the best they can um i think the doctors who are at these hospitals are are committed people who who genuinely care about the patients that they deal with but i think the doctors are and the nurses and everyone who is part of that edifice is uh, is of course dealing with uh, a paucity of resources and dealing with the fact that uh, at one level this is not something that is of great interest to uh, policy and that there seems to be a, a sort of focus on on sort of this idea of you know private healthcare and super speciality hospitals and there's a whole there's a whole sort of uh, kind of edifice that seems to be gearing itself towards uh providing healthcare for a very different kind of people and public health like you know public education is something that since the elites i think have seceded from uh is something that that is not uh, doesn't seem to be a massive priority and i mean there is talk of now setting up these six aims like organizations right but when public health delivers it works really well uh but like i said for that it you need a, a sort of you need to care about this kind of stuff and uh, i mean 
Yeah. Palpable shortage of resources there, is what I felt is. in your descriptions there as is well. A, there is, a, and you know, I mean, the guys who are there are sort of doing this kind of heroic work, right? But, mm. but I guess the thing is, we shouldn't really bank on heroism as a matter of public policy. I mean, it's crazy to for doctors to work the way they do, and uh, but at the same time, we also know that a whole bunch of doctors choose not to work in in public health and you know work in 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 universities that are that are subsidized. Uh, and then go on to work in super specialty hospitals. So, and then you know you have hospitals who get you know land uh, from the government at extremely subsidized rates, and then don't set aside seats for you know or beds rather for for treatment. I mean, there have been you know innumerable cases yeah, of I mean, that. It goes to the, it's crazy that you have to go to the court to get people to do what they promised to do in their contracts. I'm quoting one of Ashraf's lines here: "The ideal job is the perfect balance of kamai and azadi." And for Aman Sethi, is the kamai coming from journalism and the azadi coming from writing the book, or you know, like how does it work? How does that? Have you found that kamai azadi balance yet, or too young for that? Well, I think that uh, no, I think that I mean it's a it's it's a dynamic equilibrium, right? As as Ashraf points out. So uh, yeah, I mean. I am. I guess I'm. I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing right now. So I'm. I'm not really concerned too much about. I think azadi is what is of particular importance at this period, and you know the money can will come at some point. <laughs> so is there anything new in the works? Um, in terms of a book? In terms of a book, no. I'm just sort of looking around for ideas. The book is going to be released in the U.S. later this year and in the U.K. So there's a lot of work. I mean, it's still not fully out of my system. So I think uh, in. 20, what, what are we in? 2012. So I guess 2013 I'll start thinking and then let's see. I mean it's a long process these things as I've realized. So you write the book and then you hit the circuit and what has that part of it been like? Because clearly you just acknowledged that you know the circuit is still very much alive. Uh, this is, so at Jaipur there was this great... Um, I know, I heard you quote that. That's where I picked it from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you write the book, you hit the circuit. Um, well, there hasn't been that much of... It's what is the circuit? I mean, what's the circuit to the extent that you've experienced it as an author? The circuit as I've experienced it is a short circuit. Uh, it is, um, you just, you, you write the book and then, you know, you, you find yourself at interviews like these parsing meaning uh, and mining your, your work for meaning which did not uh, exist at the time that you wrote it. Mm. Um, and it's, I guess you just end up, I guess at some point, uh, Going, I, I haven't thought about this book as deeply as I have after <laughs> while I was writing it. So it's just a, it's a series of these kinds of events where you're just trying to get people interested in in reading. And uh, I guess it's it's we're up against a, a lot of very different media. Uh, and to try and write a work that expects people to set aside you know time in their day uh, is I guess you realize how hard it is. You you realize that you know even after you work for a newspaper and you know if you get page one then you've got a million people reading you literally uh, the next morning but with a book uh, there's a whole different It's a bigger world. challenge. Uh, where is um, Amin Sethi the journalist headed next in East Africa? Uh, no I don't know right now actually we, we're just waiting to see where, where we go next. Um, I've spent two years in Chhattisgarh. I'm, I've been back, I've been writing about labor now, again, after a long time. And most uh, recently, uh, about, Maruti. About Maruti and unions, and I've been sort of out of this world for the last two years. So it's, it's good to be back and sort of thinking about, again, work. Uh, and again, I think uh, one piece that I did last year when the Maruti crisis happened for the first time was just uh, a piece on, you know, 
the task performed by various people on an assembly line and you know the time you have and how you do it and that was really interesting you know just to figure that okay you go to the factory but what, what do, do you, you do, do at, the at the factory and that's what i'm really obsessed with like what do people do so it's such a fundamental question and maybe you'll write many more books when you're trying to while you're trying to answer that fundamental question <laughs> Avan Sethi thank you great to have you on the news laundry thank you. interview thank you for having me Catch all new episodes of News Laundry interviews on newslaundry.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.